0: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. I find myself constantly falling asleep the moment I sit down to pray. You know, I I guess I'm just making up for the lack of sleep that my children are getting.
1: You know, sometimes the best I can do is pull up the Bible verse of the day on some random website. And so then I share that with my kids because I know their schedules are busy too.
2: I think when I was single, I got used to spending huge chunks of time with God. And after we had kids, and especially with activities, sometimes that time gets crowded out and I have to be more creative.
1: So I was reading the story of Mary and Martha, because I so relate to that. Um, and I was wanting to teach my girls about it. But in the middle of that, I'm like, oh no, I forgot to switch over the load of laundry. So I put aside the story to go do that. So maybe I did miss the point.
0: Hmm. Well, maybe you can relate to those struggles. I I think we all want to have a more active and vibrant connection with God, but life often seems to get in the way. On this edition of Focus on the Family, we have some creative ideas on how you can improve that kind of a situation. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, today we want to
2: offer encouragement and hope to busy parents. It's going to lean toward moms, but I think dads can learn a lot from what we're going to talk about today. Here's a quote from our guest. She said, I've run a marathon, walked for a month on a broken ankle, and moaned my way through natural childbirth twice. That's incredible. That's incredible. And in comparison to the daily grind of parenting, all of those things were like cake. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, man, that's funny. Uh, If that's how you feel, you need to lean into today's program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we're going to have some great ideas for you to reconnect to God, even in a busy period of your life.
0: Yeah. And uh, Reverend Courtney Ellis is with us in the studio. She's an author, speaker, associate pastor with her husband, Daryl at Presbyterian Church of the Master in Mission Viejo, California. Uh, she and Daryl have three young children, ages nine, six, and three, and Courtney has a book that will uh, be the basis of our conversation today, Almost Holy Mama, Life-Giving <laughs> Spiritual Practices for Weary Parents. And we'll encourage you to get a copy from us here at focusonthefamily.com broadcast, or call 800, the letter A, and the word family. Courtney, welcome to Focus
2: on the Family.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Uh,
2: That quote I read a minute ago about uh, being a working mom and going through all the things that you've gone through. But being that mom is, it sounds like, has taken the most toll. I'm sure for you it's, you know, this is just part of motherhood. But those days come, right? Those days that the load just feels so overwhelming. Describe it
1: it's it's really like nothing else i remember when our youngest or our oldest son was a few weeks old thinking if i could just have a few days of a break I could be okay (laughs) right and then the dawning realization that that was never going to happen I I was a nursing mom and my son needed me and I could take 10 minutes but what I really needed was two days to sleep yeah right (laughs) and that wasn't going to happen so just the the everydayness of the daily grind is like nothing else
2: and I think those early years you know I can remember for both Jean and I the early years having two boys two years apart I mean, it was four and two. I mean, it was a bit of chaos going on. Three and one was chaos. It's because you're just taking care of everything, right? You got to keep them, you know, out of the electrical box. You got to keep them, <laughs> you know, out from under the sink. You got all that stuff. Did you mm-hmm. Did you guys have all the locks and stuff on your cupboard doors and all that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. just like lockdown.
1: And and now our kids are old enough that we don't need many of those things, but we can't get the locks off the toilet lids. they Are on you there supposed to take life. those things
2: down? <laughs> on I, th- there oh, for life. I forgot that yeah. part.
1: yeah it is it just is relentless and you love these little people so much but what what people forget about young children is they they change from activity to activity every minute or every two minutes or every three minutes when they're in that toddler phase and it just wears you down it's
2: exhausting yeah all right so you started with the idea of contemplation practicing the awareness of God's presence that all sounds good by the Uh way but doing that while you were driving around in the car, <laughs> shuttling your kids to and fro, uh, you put a note on your dashboard to help you. What did that note say?
1: The note said, breathe, Jesus, others, outside. And it was a reminder first to take a couple deep breaths, because I was often moving at the speed of light, right. and then to think about Jesus. And to think about the people who were in my car, the people we passed on the street, to look outside. And contemplation is so beautiful because we don't actually have to do anything except remember that Jesus is with us. And that changes everything because when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're frazzled, often we forget that God is present to us. Give me that
2: example. I'm, I'm just wanting you to connect with that mom that is frazzled. And she's hearing you say, "I yeah, think about Jesus. Are you kidding me? I just changed a poopy diaper.
1: Yeah. That's the whole premise of the book is I was so exhausted and so desperate for God. And so I read books on spiritual practices that would say, take an hour in quiet prayer. And I was just thinking, are you kidding me? You know, my children will burn the house to the ground. What I need is Jesus. I need Mm -hmm. God's help, but I can't fit more into my day. So how can I connect spiritual practices to things I'm already doing? So I'm not asking moms to do a new thing. I'm asking moms to think about what they're already doing and how God wants to help them.
2: Yeah, which is great. It's focusing on something more significant than cleaning up after your child, right? All right, so day one starts in this new experiment. It went flawlessly, didn't it? I nailed Perfect. it. Perfect. You nailed it. Nailed Tell it. us about it. Then, then you wrote the book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm an expert in all of these things. No, I, the first day, I had a little note taped to the dashboard, and I was going to make a beautiful handwritten whatever, and, and I ran out of time, so I scribbled it with a Sharpie on the back of an envelope and taped it to the dashboard, and by the time I had turned out of our street, I was already distracted, and I saw someone walking by with a cute tank top, and I thought, oh, maybe I would like that tank top, and I wonder where you can buy such a tank top, and it's like, I already, it's been 20 seconds. Seconds. Yeah, I couldn't focus on Jesus for 20 seconds. Mm. My will was weak. My attention was weak. And here's the thing about spiritual practices. They're not about us pleasing God or finally being good enough. It's about returning again and again to the reminders that God loves us. Yeah. God didn't condemn me or shame me. God was like, I'm still here. Whenever you're ready, whenever you're done thinking about the tank top, I'm here.
2: Courtney, one thing that I've noticed when I've interviewed Uh, women who tend to, at least to me, they tend to carry a lot of guilt for coming up short. Mm -hmm. Women are far more inward looking about their shortcomings, I think, than men are. Maybe we have an extra dose of ego that just allows us to not look at our flaws as, (laughs) as closely. Women tend to just feel really laden with guilt if they don't get it done on time if they don't get it done perfectly if they don't fill in the blank whatever that might be the laundry the dishes whatever working outside the home am i contributing enough speak to that that side of it about that burden of guilt and how do you get that yoke off your back
1: that is such a beautiful piece of drawing near to god in these spiritual practices i expected to hear condemnation i expected to hear you should have tried harder you should have done better but what i heard most often was i love you and i'm here And that would bring me to tears. It's bringing me to tears now because I do think moms especially, and dads too, but we have this sense of just striving and striving and striving. And parenting is so hard. You're going to fail a thousand times a day, even with the best intentions. You know, when your child begs you for macaroni and cheese, I want macaroni and cheese, I want macaroni and cheese, and you cook it and you set it in front of them and they say, I hate this macaroni and cheese and you have a moment of okay you know make up your mind right? like i did this thing to love you and then i got this response it's normal to get frustrated and it's normal to feel like why did i even try um but the the beautiful thing is when we return to god god reminds us that we are seen that we are loved and that we are not alone and so many pieces of parenting are very isolating I'm alone with my kids and no one sees us except Jesus. And this one-year-old won't remember if I was patient or not, but God is present to me and with me and within me.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's good to say, it's good to think you're doing okay. Yeah. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Good enough is good enough. I think Gene and I, one of the things that we've constantly said, I don't know if you and Dina have said this to each other, John, but, you know, and this is probably pretty common. You know, I just wish we could have the do-over. With our boys being now 19 and 21, you know, if we could just rewind that clock back to two and four, we'd do so many things differently. Yeah. How, how do you manage that sense of guilt that I wish I could have parented better? You only go through it, you know, the one time with whatever number of children you might have, one to whatever. But how about that feeling of, wow?
1: Yeah. I- I think that's a feeling that's so common to all parents. And the hard thing is your kids often remember the one time you lost your temper instead of the hundred times you didn't. Our our oldest son, he was two years old and I was buckling him into his car seat and he had shorts on. And when I pinched the buckle, oh. I got his leg and for what the kind next, of mother would do that? Right? I was not <laughs> I in no way intentional, but for the next year, oh. every time I buckled him into his car seat, he would yell at the top of his lungs, mommy, don't hurt me like you did last time. Oh, you know what I'm, man. I'm like, that's what he remembered. Not yeah. the 200 times, 300, 400 times I'd buckled him in perfectly safely. And so I think that's why we have to remember there's grace. We're not going to be perfect. And we are the parents that our children need god has given us our particular children for a reason he's given that's a great them thought. us for a reason yeah. and we're both making each other holier when we walk with the lord and sometimes that's through mistakes and sin that we need to apologize for and sometimes that's just you know if i knew then what i know now i would have put you in soccer and not in ballet and <laughs> we just can't account for that we can't see the future all we can do is be faithful with what we know and what we have today
2: let me ask you uh you mentioned your stories about bedtime and how they typically ended up being the greatest fight of the day was bedtime mm. I guess describe what bedtime looked for you paint that picture for us
1: bedtime, man. Bedtime's so hard. Bedtime By bedtime, you you're didn't exhausted. You strap them in and just shut you're... the lights off? Wouldn't that be so great? <laughs> that would be so great. That's a
2: joke, by the way, yeah, everybody.
1: They, you're tired. They know you're tired. Maybe you've been super patient all day, but that hour before bed is so tricky, and suddenly your child, who's a bundle of energy, is a sloth getting to the bathroom to brush their teeth. And so, I connected the spiritual discipline of service with bedtime. and Not service as in enabling my kids, doing everything for them. Our oldest would love to just stand there and have me brush his teeth and i was like no no no, you can do this Um, but remembering the ways that god serves us and so the symbol of service in the bible is often the towel jesus washing his Mm -hmm. disciples feet and we often ended our day with a bath time Mm -hmm. so what did it mean to focus in on how god served me as i served my children um i had to put my phone away for the entire hour which was harder than it should have been but very effective And together, my husband and my kids and I learned how to serve each other and how to be a little bit more patient. And if you read that chapter, sometimes it went super well. (laughs) Other times it absolutely did not. But it was the spirit of serving my kids, trying to serve my kids with the love of Jesus rather than just the drudgery of the end of the day. So
2: here's a real practical one. How, How did you manage, mommy, I want more water.
1: We just put that and sippy then five cup with the lid right in the bed. They sleep with that water cup. That's how you fix that. Yep. there it is. Yep, cup with the lid right in the bed. That that one. That's one of the only tips I have. Yeah,
0: yeah. that's good. <laughs> this focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
1: Clubhouse is really edifying in every part of it
0: a resource that supports your values.
1: We subscribe to other magazines, and every once in a while there will be a story that questions a parent's authority or kids behave in a way that I don't like, and we never have that problem with Clubhouse. I can trust it.
0: Learn more about Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines at focusonthefamily.com slash clubradio.
1: I'm here asking people how they could both give and get.
0: I don't know. Maybe love. Yeah, you could both
1: give and get love. True. But it's also possible with a charitable gift annuity. You get a secure source of fixed income and a charitable tax deduction. Plus, giving a charitable gift annuity to focus on the family helps families thrive for generations to come. I love that. Find out more. Go to focusplannedgiving dot com. That's focusplannedgiving dot com.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: Courtney, uh, let's go over a few of those experiment outcomes. Being a science guy, I like that. But what were some of those failures and successes in that idea of serving your children?
1: So when I wrote that chapter of the book, I intended this book to be a 12-month experiment in spiritual practices, and it ended up taking me over two years. Oh. For reasons that I talk about in the book, that just things got delayed and stretched out <laughs> and life happened. We, I, I got pregnant with our third and it was a rough pregnancy. Um, but the spiritual discipline of service is wonderful because it, parenting is all about serving and you're you're making the food for your kids and you're changing the diapers for your kids and you're buckling them hopefully safely into their car seats and all of these things. And what I started to learn was when I became aware that Jesus was in the boat with me, Um, I just, I felt so much less alone in this evening routine. Often my husband had meetings at church. I was still on maternity leave. And so it was this long hour of loneliness until I started realizing Jesus was in the boat, right? This is the story in the gospels of the disciples in the storm and they're terrified and suddenly they realize oh my goodness, Jesus is in the boat. And yeah, yeah, when you realize you're not alone, it really does transform the experience. And there were nights where I would have to apologize to my oldest son in the morning because I was not as patient as I wanted to be. There were nights where our youngest went to bed beautifully and then woke up in 20 minutes thinking it was morning. Mm -hmm. And then we put him down again and then we put him down again, right? It was relentless and Jesus was in the boat.
2: Yeah, I can relate to that. Youngest. That's kind of was my attitude as a boy. I got up way too early, like four or five in the morning, yes, to go outside and play Batman. <laughs> yes. But life, why, why sleep life away? There's so much fun you can do.
1: Our middle kid, we <laughs> we call him the piece of toast because he would pop up at four right. forty-five in the morning and he was up for the day. And I was like, dear that Jesus, kid. There is not enough coffee in right. the world. Yeah.
2: People, my mom just let me go. I mean, I'm sure her friends are going seriously. <laughs>
1: and he was so happy. It yeah. was hard to be mad at. but I was like, I
2: got to meet him someday.
1: Yeah. He's, he's, he's a trip man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Let's describe how you learn that you can't be Jesus to your kids. I think this is another one of those control features for moms, particularly both moms and dads, but moms tend to have a little higher dose of, you know, I can take care of their surrounding. I can manage it. I'll put them in the right place. I'll put them in the right class with the right teacher. I know every teacher, you know, all those things. And you start to like, over guide everything you're kind of being god in their life
1: yeah and we we talk about this in parenting ministries you're the first jesus your children will see and that's way too much pressure jesus is jesus you're the mom you're the dad and that's all you need to be and that's wonderful grace to remember that these children are entrusted to our care but we're stewards of them ultimately they belong to the lord Um, i had a lot of fear with our firstborn that when he was a baby when he was an infant. He would be one of those SIDS babies who died and didn't wake up. And so I would check on him every hour. And yeah. my husband was like, you need to sleep. And I said, well, I can't sleep until you promise me he'll be okay. And he said, Courtney, I can't promise you. Right? I can't promise you. But what I can promise you is that Jesus is in that room.
2: Yeah. In that way, you're talking from a, a position of fear. Yeah. So that's a good thing to attack. You know, that yeah. we can't control outcomes. We can't control... What's going to happen? And I'm sure some people are listening that have lost a child. My brother lost his son. So, I mean, it happens. And I, these are serious moments, you know. But this is life. And if you're fearful about every potential environment your child's going to be in, you're not going to be living in peace.
1: And me being afraid of that wouldn't stop it from happening. Right. It would just drain right. me of strength and courage. How do you
2: how do you move from that rail of fear to a better place a better rail of trust
1: it's going back to that jesus is in the boat right and whether i feel fear or not whether i feel courage or not that reminder that we are not alone that god goes with us behind us and before us and on every side that we are hemmed in behind and before i mean the psalms are great because the psalmist will pour out this fear and then there's often this turn of but i will trust in your unfailing love but god you are with me and so I think we are we are pretty incapable of walking away from fear on our own. We can try and we can drum up kind of false bravado, but the reminder of the presence of God for me was a big, big part of walking away from fear and walking away from control. Yeah. Because our kids are still fairly young. We can fix most things with a popsicle or a band aid. That gets harder as the kids get older. But again, we are stewards. Yeah. And we slowly release them more and more fully into God's care. It's so true.
2: And if Jean were here, she would say she feels like she learned that lesson a little later than she would have liked to. The boys were late mm-hmm. teens when she realized she really doesn't control them. Mm-hmm. I think our oldest even once said, Mom, Dad, you can't control me. I mean, you want me to do the right things, and I want to do the right things. But it's not going to be because you told me to. It's because I'm going to choose to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's pretty good wisdom from a kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, right then I thought, okay, he's got it. He knows if he's going to choose something of darkness versus the things of the Lord, right? I mean, he's got that capacity already. But it is his choice. And parents just take a little longer realizing that. And uh, it's a good lesson to learn.
1: Absolutely. And (laughs) and I think one of the ways parents of younger children can do that is by letting our kids have some reasonably safe, natural consequences. So sure. we go to the playground all the time. I live in Southern California and we're, we're very spoiled. We can do it 12 months of the year. And I try to let my kids have some physical adventures. But there's always a parent or two at the park who's that helicopter, you know, like, oh, are, right you okay? are you OK? Them. Are you OK? Are you OK? But my kids will say, mommy, help me down. And I'll say, mommy is here, but I think you can do it. And let them stretch themselves and let them try those things in a way that is safe and in a way that they learn to have some courage. And our rule is if you can't climb up it on your own, you can't go up it. Mm. Um, Because they're always, Mommy, put me up there. And I say, no, 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 you know? And then they'll stretch and they'll grow and they'll learn. And sometimes they get three steps up and realize, oh, I've made a terrible mistake, right? And then they have the option. What am I gonna do next? So a little bit of natural consequence to let our kids explore, to let our kids try things. Not bubble pack. That are challenging. Yes, to not bubble wrap them because I think if you're not able to do that with younger kids, it, it's harder when they're older. And I think that chance of rebellion tends to be higher because they've never been able to have any.
2: Yeah, you're actually developing a skill set. Yes. That's the key. And uh, parents need to realize that you want them to be responsible even for how high they climb.
1: Thousands That's pretty percent. good.
2: Let me, let me take us back to dinner because I think it's so important. We do a lot of review of the research that comes out on family, etc. I think we're hopefully one of the best informed organizations on the data on family, marriage, parenting. One of the key things is having a meal together. Mm -hmm. And again, I give Jean such great credit. She was good. I mean, I bet, uh, certainly when I wasn't traveling, when I'm at home, 100%, we had dinner pretty much at six o'clock every night, very predictable, put the technology away, and we'd sit at the table. I'm proud to say that I think I got Trent and Troy to blow some milk out of their nose from time to time with a little <laughs> bit of laughter. It did become my goal. <laughs> but it's just having fun. It's that communion as a family. You you were big on that as well. And adding that spiritual discipline and, and talking through spiritual things, explain what you did at dinner.
1: So we tied the spiritual practice of the examine to our family dinners. And that is, to put it in the simplest terms, just thinking about where you noticed God in your day. So oh, the good. high of your day and the low of your day and where you noticed God.
0: That's and good.
1: yeah, it's from the Jesuit tradition. And Jesuits were people on the go who needed time to reflect at the end of their day of where they noticed God at work. And so we would do this and you could do this with tiny, tiny kids. We started it when Lincoln was three years old. And we would say, you know, what was the best part of your day and the worst part of your day. And where did you see God? I think there are a lot of families who love to take this meal time together, but then there are some that can't um, We have a lot of families in our church who they they work in law enforcement or things where the schedules just don't right, line that's up fair. and so if you can choose another time, you can do breakfast, you could do bedtime or we're gonna see each other again on Thursday let's do it on Thursday so no guilt. But it's a wonderful exercise to get to know your children. Oh, what yeah. was the best part of their day? It usually wasn't what I thought it would be. What was the hardest part? And then to begin to cultivate the awareness of where was God? And it also helped my husband and I get to know each other because so much of our days are unseen by the other person and to hear what the best part was, what the worst part was and how they noticed God at work. It's really simple and it's really fun.
2: Now your little guy Lincoln tried to game the system here. What did he do?
1: Yeah, he did. Um, So (laughs) we learned very quickly. We had to kind of let him find his own way into it because by day day one went great. And I felt so good. I'm a great parent. I'm nailing this. That's always the first clue that Things are about to go south. <laughs> day three, he would say the high of his day was, you know, going to the park. The low of his day was he didn't get to go to Legoland. You're right. But maybe he'd get to go to Legoland tomorrow. Oh, and this went God on. God would answer his prayer. This went on for a while, right? He's begging for theme park tickets in the middle of his prayer. And <laughs> at first, the controlling part of me wanted to like, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. But I had to just let him find his own way. And eventually, eventually he did.
2: Courtney, sometimes, and this will be the last question today, but let's come back next time and continue the discussion. There's more to talk about. But I think sometimes we overcomplicate things as parents. As you're saying those things, the simplicity of what you're saying is so critically important that, you know, we want our three-year-old to be a theologian, you know, rather than just those little lessons that accumulate over time and create in your child a God-centered heart. And that's really the goal. It should be the goal with what we're doing Not to where it's dramatic every day, but more drip irrigation. And then, uh, you know, by the time that child's 18, if you've done that well, predictability would suggest that your child will have a heart for the things of God.
1: That's the deepest hope, right? Is that the faithful repetition? And that's so much of the Christian life. That's Eugene Peterson's, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Right. So you may not have some big, thunderous come to Jesus moment at the dinner table, but they will see you being faithful day in and day out, when it's easy and when it's hard. And when it goes badly, they see you apologize. And, right, it's like pouring water into a basket some days. And you feel like this didn't hold anything, but the basket is wet. And that's something. And it is those little things. And if you think about it in the grand scheme of parenting, so much of parenting is repeating the same thing over, sit down at the dinner table, sit down at the dinner table, sit down at the dinner table. i thank you. Right? I've said it it 80,000 times. And I know that that's true of behavioral issues or manners or things like that. How much more true is it of spiritual things? We think we've said it once and it's gotten into their heart and their soul. It hasn't. It's not true for me either. I need it a thousand times.
2: Yeah. And you just stay consistent. And then lo and behold, things happen in a positive direction. You know, and I'm thinking of the parent that might have that prodigal child, that teenager, Just stay true to those convictions, be loving and kind, apologize where you need to. And then the Lord's got to work in that child's heart. And uh, that's the one thing. He's given everyone free choice, right? Even to accept him or to deny him. And that's an interesting model for us as parents, you know? So Courtney, this has been great. And I'm looking forward to continuing that discussion. And thank you for taking the time to write uh, this great book with the wonderful title, Almost Holy Mama, Life-Giving Spiritual Practices for Weary Parents. Uh, Let me go to the listener and the viewer. If you want a copy of this great resource, uh, get in touch with us. If you can uh, give us a gift of any amount so we could do ministry together, we'll send it as our way of saying thank you. It's kind of a fun way to help other people, and to get a great resource. And you can do that monthly, or you can do that as a one-time gift. And we'll send a copy of Courtney's book uh, either way. And it's our way, again, of saying thank you for partnering with us.
0: Donate as you can. And uh, when you're online, be sure to look for our free parenting assessment. Uh, It takes just a few minutes. It'll help you uh, see where you're doing well and maybe give you some tips on uh, areas you can work on. Um, We're here for you. And our number is 800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. Join us again next time as we once again visit with Courtney and help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned.
1: My favorite thing about Brio is that you can actually absorb stuff from it and learn. Reaching teen girls right where they're at with encouragement to grow in their faith. The stories in the Brio magazine about other people that have gone through things way worse than I have is really inspiring and uplifting. Help your teen invite God into her everyday experience with Brio Magazine. Learn more at focusonthefamily.com slash Brio Radio. My will was weak. My attention was weak. And here's the thing about spiritual practices. They're not about us pleasing God or finally being good enough. It's about returning again and again to the reminders that God loves us.
0: That's Reverend Courtney Ellis describing how spiritual disciplines like prayer, worship, and service can transform your family and your faith in powerful ways. Courtney is back with us today on Focus on the Family and your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. John, uh, we had a great conversation last time with Courtney about
2: a common challenge we all face as followers of Christ, how to better incorporate our faith and intimacy with the Lord Into our daily routine, especially in parenting. And we all know the struggle. Uh, We're too busy, and life happens, and before you know it, uh, you've missed devotions again. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'll do it tomorrow. And you miss them again because it's just the pace, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing God understands our predicament, He knows our season of life, He knows that busyness. And that's why Jesus says this in Matthew 11, uh, 28 and 30, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound good? It does. It's very appealing right now. Well, and just like everything else, if we bring those failings and burdens to the Lord, he will help us uh, get through. And that's the message that Courtney wants to share with us today. If you missed the conversation last time, get the download, uh, get the app for your smartphone so Mm -hmm. you can listen when you want to. Or you can uh, watch on YouTube.
0: Yeah, it was a really good conversation. And we do have Courtney Ellis back with us today. She's an author, speaker, and associate pastor. Uh, She and her husband, Daryl, have three young kids. And Courtney has written a book that spells out her own struggles to consistently live as a disciple of Jesus. Uh, The title is Almost Holy Mama, Life-Giving Spiritual Practices for Weary Parents.
2: Courtney, welcome back. Thanks for having me. We're going to
0: kick it off with a really important topic now
2: laundry. <laughs> Let's dig into the spiritual blessing of laundry. Uh, you know, one thing, again, I said this often last time, but Jean did a wonderful job. By the time our boys were 10, they were doing their own laundry. And I always thought that was probably her, the highest achievement for us. Uh, getting ready for bed, not so big on the marks, but but getting the laundry done, It just something that she handed to them quickly, and they took to it. And we did have a few Pink items that came out from time to time. I think you had your your own pink item episode. What was that?
1: Uh, I did. It was early in our marriage, before children, when we were both in seminary and didn't have two nickels to rub together. And I was doing the laundry and turned all of my husband's undershirts pink. And being <laughs> seminary students, we did not have the budget to replace those for quite a while. So, so he wore
2: those pink shirts. He,
1: I think, he just stopped wearing undershirts for a while. Just gotten up all the way to here. Um, uh, but he said, "You know, why don't I do the washing that was and a great you plan do on your the part. drying and the folding and the putting away?" Oh. Except I wouldn't do the folding and the putting away. I would just have laundry mountains staring at me from the corner. And then we got had children and every tiny baby uh increases the laundry in exponential ways. I was not prepared. And it was a tour that I really didn't like. And I have all of these deep theological reasons for why (laughs) the the tasks of the home are so important, but I couldn't convince myself. I I just, I didn't want to do it. And so I thought if I have to do this, I need to do this. The family needs to not live out of laundry baskets forever. (laughs) Um, Daryl is doing his part so faithfully then is there a spiritual practice that I can connect to it that will make me feel like that time is, is holy, yeah. that God is present to me in it? And so I started practicing listening prayer while I folded laundry. And, and describe and, that. Yes. Yeah, so I listening prayer is simply putting yourself in the presence of God and being quiet. And so I would say a few things where I would have a scripture I would meditate on. Often I would let whose laundry I was folding guide my practice. So, dear Lord, please bless my my son Lincoln. Please bless my son Wilson. Please bless my husband. And then I would just be quiet and see what the Lord brought to my mind. And it was difficult. I'm a person of many words. And so silence is tricky. But scripture talks a lot about being still before the Lord. And I think it means being still not just in our bodies, but also with our voices and also with our minds to, to be present to God in that way. No,
2: that's good. I love the idea of praying for the, per- the person's clothing you're folding. I'll try to do that too. I do try to do my own laundry. John, you're looking. Gene, Gene
0: is still working on you.
2: No, seriously. And yeah.
1: I cannot take credit for the idea. It was actually my dad who taught me that. He was the laundry folder in my house growing up, yeah. and he would tell us that he would pray for each of us as I he folded. I think folding our things. is the hardest yeah. part. And he Throwing had three it daughters, in and putting so putting
2: detergent in there is pretty easy. I yes. can do that all day long. Right? That <laughs> one's fast. It's when they're ready to come out. What do you do? It? I got to hang all these shirts up? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, you, you had an experience with uh, your washer breaking down. Uh, I, I think you said it was a very vulnerable moment when a friend said, I'll do your laundry. What happened and why was that Mm. so vulnerable?
1: It was this perfect storm. We had a new baby. We had a two or three week old baby. Our washing machine broke and my husband, Daryl had just had knee surgery. And so he was immobilized and we had so much laundry and nowhere to do it. So a friend called and said, I'm going to come over. I'm going to take your laundry to my house. I'll do it all for you. And I said, that would be great. And then I got off the phone and realized, oh my goodness, our laundry is, I don't, there are things in our laundry I don't want her to see. And so I started pulling out all of my unmentionables. And, yes. and my Delicates. husband said, yes, my husband said, we, we need those washed too. And I said, oh, I'm not pulling out yours. I'm only pulling out mine. <laughs> and so I got all the laundry ready for her. And she came and she picked up all these laundry baskets. And it's pretty intimate to do someone's laundry, right? If that's you think their, about that's it. That's their life. Sure. That's their, the food stains and everything else. And she was taking the last basket to the car. And then she looked down the hallway into our bedroom. And she said, I see one more basket of laundry. And she picked that one up and she carried that to the car. And now she had an entire basket full of only my unmentionables. And I thought I would die. And it was this lesson to me of of God's
2: humility (laughs) and of
1: God's presence to us in the really bodily intimate Mm. things that this dear Christian friend who did not have time to do laundry in addition to her own laundry was giving of her time, her talent, her hauling of laundry, and that God loves us even in those most embarrassing places. And this Mm. friend did too.
2: You said in the book, you really, in terms of um, receiving something in those times of listening prayer, there wasn't anything earth shattering in that regard. But you did sense God's presence in that holy silence. Describe that again, that it was a victory, that it wasn't wasted time.
1: Yeah, it was an opportunity to just let myself be loved. And, you know, the trick with listening prayer is if we hear something, we need to test it against scripture and and wise people in the faith. It's not, well, God told me, so I'm doing this this thing that's totally off the rails. Don't do that. Um, but I, I think I expected to hear something really earth shattering from God. In times of listening prayer earlier in my life, I've heard... You know, I've sensed, okay, it's time for a career shift or it's time for a move or you need to have this hard conversation with this friend. But during this season, I think God knew I was so exhausted that what I needed more than anything was the encouragement of just knowing God was near. So I'd fold little tiny shirts and I'd pray for my son, Wilson, and I'd say, God, you know, please bless Wilson, be with him. And I'd hear from God, I love Wilson and I love you and I'm here. And what a powerful reminder. Man,
2: I could sense it in what you're saying. Right. I think there's not
1: a mother out there who doesn't need to hear that and to be reminded that at the end of the day, the work is the Lord's. At the end of the day, even the laundry is the Lord's and that God sees you in Mm -hmm. all that you do.
2: You uh, mentioned in the book another great story where you... Find out you're pregnant with your third child, and that was a more difficult pregnancy. What was the circumstance? And I can only imagine the additional weight that that added, but describe what happened.
1: Yeah, when we talked about expanding our family to one more child, we thought we kind of knew what we were in for. I had done this twice before and it went pretty well and you know we had these two beautiful boys and you know we prayed about it and we're like, "Okay, we're we're open to this." And then we got pregnant with our girl and it was a completely different physical experience for me. Mm-hmm. I was now throwing up multiple 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 times a day and and borderline non functional. I was going to do my job and I would, you know, I would lead the opening prayer and then I'd run to the bathroom and throw up. And then I'd preach a sermon and then I'd run to the bathroom and throw up. And then I'd do the benediction and I couldn't do anything unless I was chewing peppermint gum all <laughs> oh the time, goodness. which is such a no no in public speaking. And yeah. it was mm. just relentless. And so that's where the book took an extended turn because I couldn't write for a while. I, there were days I struggled to sit up, there were days I struggled to eat anything at all. And the, it turned into a chapter on the spiritual practice of suffering.
2: Yeah, and, and the, in that context, you described how difficult it was, I think, in some ways, just to feel so helpless. Yeah. And let's drill into that a little bit, because I'm sure many, many women feel that at times, especially if they're having their third child, their fourth child, whatever it might be, and you, you just feel disconnected and helpless. Describe it.
1: I'm such a doer and I think that's true of many parents because we have to be to get through the day and to have a season where I couldn't do much was really difficult and my husband reminded me of the time he had his knee surgery and in the recovery from that when he could do very little and he said you know we are all needy sometimes. And so to throw yourself on the mercy of God and the love of your community, you know, my husband and I pastor together at our church and we're used to being the people who bring the meals, the people who give the love, the people who drop off the things and to have our church family say, let us help you. Let us bring you meals. Let us bring you dinner. It was humbling, but it was so important Mm. because our posture before God is not of givers, it's of receivers. And we learn so much by receiving.
2: Did you have to talk about that? Did it feel... I mean, I think you even described it as feeling a bit of shame that you weren't able to do. So, I mean, you guys are definitely doers if you're feeling shame if you don't do.
1: Yes. And I think when it's... Especially when it's a third child or a second child and it wasn't just that I was leaving my husband to fend for himself. He's very capable. you know. He can cook, he can clean, he can do all the things, but it was him and two children where often he'd get home from a really long day. And I was like, here, you know, like yeah. I'm out, I'm going to bed at 7 PM. I'm done. I'm toasted. And realizing that the the love within our marriage and the love of God and the love of our community, when we let them in on it and said, you know, we really do need some help yeah. They were there for us.
2: You know, it's interesting you you talk about Psalm 23 which in there it says, you know, God uh, makes us to lie down. Never I never thought about it like a swift kick where he takes your feet out from under you and makes yeah. you lie down if you're like overextended, but describe how that scripture related to you at that time. Hmm.
1: It's so fascinating with scripture because we can read a passage a dozen times or a hundred times, and then you you come to it at a certain day in your life or a season in your life, and it speaks so differently and so loudly. And that was Psalm 23. I didn't make it past verse two. Huh. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And it was this reminder from God that this this is your job right now.
0: This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines are fun and educational for your children.
1: There's a story that Clubhouse does every month where it's pictures. So the words of the story are written and then objects and characters are pictures instead of words. And so that has been great for early reading in a way that I didn't expect.
0: Learn more at FocusOnTheFamily.com clubradio club radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: Courtney, you write in the book about pilgrimage and travel, and I think modern families, we do more travel today than we used to. Uh, we'd be at home. I think Jean, Jean's mom and dad said they'd never really left Southern California, but uh, today we do. And how did you incorporate that idea of pilgrimage into family travel, and how'd that go?
1: It went up and down, like, what, like was everything Was that like a else.
2: vacation time, or what were you doing?
1: Yeah, so pilgrimage is just expecting to meet God along the journey. And when we encounter difficulties in a journey, thinking of those as opportunities to meet with God in a new way, to learn something, to be challenged by God, to grow. Um, so it can be a long trip, and we took one, one long trip back to visit my family in the Midwest in this book, but also it was traveling to Los Angeles to visit Daryl's family, which is 65 miles. And in California traffic, that's between one and four hours. Depends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anywhere you go with young kids, you have to prep like you're going to climb Everest. So
2: <laughs> it's
1: a journey, even if you're just going to the playground, because yeah. God help you if you forgot the snacks.
2: Without a doubt. And many families have found the wonder of Adventures in Odyssey for those big travel moments. Oh, <laughs> a good companion for any I've heard trip. more from people that have used Odyssey for travel time, mm-hmm. you know, which is a great radio uh, program that we do for mm-hmm. kids. And it's it's... 30 years old, so we've got over 800 episodes for people. You say God calls all of us to be those pilgrims, but for the audience, really drill into that. What does that mean to be a pilgrim?
1: To be a pilgrim is to be on a journey with Jesus. And so I linked it to travel because pilgrimage is our lives with God, our daily lives with God are a pilgrimage. But linking it to the actual practice of going somewhere was kind of a fun angle and a good reminder that a trip is not just a trip. It's an opportunity to meet God in a new place, in a new way, and know that God is already working out there at the airport or in the Uber or at the playground or wherever we go along our journey.
0: Be alert. Now, Courtney, some of us might have travel planning control issues. (laughs) Um, It's sort of like we know something's going to break down along the way, but let's prevent as much as we can. We want to uh, as much... Are uh, you a firstborn or what? I could be. So (laughs) the Lord invariably brings things along. How do I today get ready with that mindset that I'm going to welcome the interruption, even though it wrecks the rest of the trip in my mind?
1: Yeah, I'm wired very much the same way. I'm a firstborn and I've got my spreadsheet <laughs> and we have a plan, yes. right? My husband will start doing laundry ten minutes before we leave. Uh, and I'm like, what what that's is going plenty on? Plenty of time. Right? I'm with your husband, man. <laughs> it makes me crazy. Um and that's what we've learned in marriage, is I just let him do his and he lets me do mine and we get along great. But Viewing those interruptions as divine interruptions Mm -hmm. rather than some foreign thing that's coming in is is really an important piece that God is ordaining who you're sitting next to on the airplane and God is ordaining the flat tire and God is ordaining, right? Like there are are opportunities and lessons and graces that we don't expect when things don't go as planned. And that's a metaphor for the rest of our life as well, Mm -hmm. right? It's a trip, but it's also everything else in our lives that sometimes gets derailed.
2: You know, Courtney, I used to believe that as a young Christian. I was far more open to, Lord, thank you for that flat tire. Let me get out and repair that. Not only mine, but the person broke down next to me. I'll do their tire too. And then over time, life kind of wears on you and you say, ah, look at that poor person on the side of the road. It's not the right way to mature in Christ, is it?
1: I think spiritual practices work on us and make us more tender. They make us should. softer. They should. Yeah, that's yeah, the way it if, should progress. And if they're not, then there are questions to ask about how we're connecting with God or if we're connecting with God. Because if our faith is making us more arrogant, um, then something is off. Something mm. is wrong. Um, Jesus was gentle and humble in heart. And we should start to see that in our lives, which does not mean we encounter every difficulty with the spirit of hooray. We'd be sociopaths, right? To to say, this is a wonderful thing, this terrible Mm -hmm. thing that has happened. Thank you, Jesus, for cancer. We don't do that. But we know that in all circumstances, God can bring good things. So it's beginning to look for those things, to look for God at work. Does the tow truck driver want to talk about his faith? Has he been through something recently? We wouldn't have met him without the flat tire.
2: You know, predictive models are there, and I don't mean this as a, you know, I'm kind of teasing both of you as firstborns, but there are generally attributes that come in that position. You tend to be more responsible in that birth order. We've had Dr. Kevin Lehman on, and lastborns, you know, tend to be kind of the social people and all those kinds of things. As that uh, person that's wired in terms of that responsibility, and again, I don't care what your birth order is, you can be a lastborn and be highly responsible. But in that, how did you, in your own personal uh, discipline, begin to realize, how do I become a little more flexible? How do I embrace a little slower pace or whatever helped you in that intensity of responsibility?
1: I love that question. And, And I think so much of what I was taught, I grew up in a wonderful evangelical church, was that devotions were done a certain way Mm -hmm. you read your Bible for a set amount of time and you pray for a set amount of time and then I would kind of leave it there and go about the rest of my day I did the God part and now this is on me and that didn't do good things for my control issues for my flexibility but living into these spiritual practices, which, by the way, they're ancient. The church has been doing these for hundreds and thousands of years. I I kind of grew up thinking there was no one between Paul and Billy Graham. But there are wonderful <laughs> yes. folks in the faith. We can learn from St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and, and Julian of Norwich who talk about these spiritual practices. And what happens is when we can integrate them into the rest of our day, it becomes this constant awareness that God is at work and that we are on this journey with Jesus and it takes the pressure off because if I would miss those morning devotions I felt like that's it nothing to do but try again tomorrow God's really disappointed in me and now it's this reminder I talk in the book about writing scripture on my shower walls with a wipe-off marker. If I miss the devotions, the Bible is there for me when I <laughs> right, get that 10-minute shower. Right? That it's not all or nothing, yeah. but it can be constant. When when Paul tells us to pray continually, it doesn't mean we're always on our knees with our hands folded. It means our entire lives can be a prayer. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. So the spiritual practice as a last born, my favorite. <laughs> Celebrate! Let's have a party! <laughs> What is that about? Celebrate. It feels like it's a little of an antithesis to how we should behave with God. Yeah. Be serious.
1: Right. Be very serious and kind of grumpy all the time.
2: It's not who the Lord Lord. is.
1: No, it's not.
2: Celebrate.
1: Jesus was a master of celebration. We find him <laughs> always with his friends reclining at the table and making the wine at the wedding and going to the feasts and the festivals, even when he had to go in secret because people were, were after him. He he goes to these feasts and these festivals. So. Scripture is filled with celebrations. There are all of these feasts and festivals in the Old Testament, and then there are many new ones in the New Testament. The early church, the early church had over 200 feast days every year. They had more feast days than not feast days. (laughs) And then there's the weekly celebration of Sabbath, where Mm -hmm. we remember that ultimately the work is the Lord's and we're invited Mm -hmm. to rest from our labors. Eugene Peterson talks about the Sabbath as a day for praying and playing, and I used to major in the praying and forget the playing. But... Why, why was that
2: hard for you? I mean, personally, that celebrate part, why did that seem to be outside the orbit for you?
1: Firstborn, maybe? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, was it
2: that just that sheer responsibility thing?
1: I, I had not really sat with Jesus as a full person. And I would mm. read more deeply into the, this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't read as much about who Jesus was and the fact that he... He enjoyed these things so much. The message translation says that you called me a lush, right? There's this idea that they see him enjoying the wine to the point where they're like this guy. Which the Pharisees
2: did. They said like he's laughing and having too much fun. Yes
1: the kingdom of God is serious. And and I don't think it is. I think the kingdom of God is deep and playful and winsome and holy. And it's all of it. God calls us to celebration because in celebration, we form greater connections with God and greater connections with one another. There is a holiness to play. There's a holiness to, to joy. Our church is you know walking out of this pandemic like every other church in the country. And we've had to invest in live stream technologies and new cameras and new lighting and all. Of these things are best purchase a couple of ping pong tables for the patio
2: <laughs> now we're talking honestly
1: people stay and they laugh and they play and they're like I, i'll catch you next sunday i'm playing you next sunday mm-hmm. and folks we would see once a month we're seeing every week because mm-hmm. of celebration
2: yeah being present you, you share a sweet story about an expected celebration you experienced with your son lincoln during a weekend retreat what happened i love that celebration between parent and child
1: As God was teaching me about not compartmentalizing my faith, I was about to lead a a retreat for our college and young adults group. And the pastor I was going to co-lead it with said, you know, bring your son. And I said, he's four. He's going to throw rocks and eat dirt. And, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. And he was like, you should bring him. And so i brought him and the final morning of the retreat this pastor led a service of communion and talked about jesus and the last supper and what it means to give your life to the lord and i looked over at my little boy and as far as i could tell he wasn't paying any attention he was digging in the dirt and he was begging the the older kids for for candy and snacks and (laughs) and then i brought him home later that day and he said you know pastor steve talked about being a disciple of jesus Can I be a disciple of Jesus too?
2: So he was listening.
1: He was listening and he wanted to pray this prayer of salvation. And I'm married to a PhD in theology. I always thought that would be Daryl's moment. And Daryl was at the store and I was like, all right, I guess it's me. And so we knelt there on the carpet in his bedroom and prayed. And that wouldn't have happened if Steve hadn't said, bring him. It's Mm. going to be fun.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, Mm. for that person that does take their faith seriously, that's admirable. But you do have to have life in that. And I think of the Lord, you know, if you've lived your entire life, you're 80 years old, maybe older, and you've just been this very serious person about your faith and maybe again with your temperament, um, you know, what word do you have for that person to say, enjoy what God has given you? I mean, experience it, not just be a scholar about it. And I think it does speak to the spirit of the heart. You know, that's why the Lord wants us to celebrate, because uh, it breaks us out of our um, kind of high and mighty self. Celebration takes some humility, that you're not going to act in a, uh, you know, sophisticated way. You may even be ridiculed like they did to Jesus.
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus invites us to come to him like little children. Children know how to celebrate. And so for the person who says, my faith has been so serious for so long, I would just say, God gives you permission. God invites you. There is no reason we have so many types of food. There's no reason we have so many types of birds. There's no reason we have so many sunsets. They don't serve a purpose. They are for our joy yeah. and therefore are flourishing. And when we walk more deeply into that country of joy, which is our native land, God is glorified. It enlivens our faith. It deepens our connections with one another. That's my next book, actually.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is good. Courtney, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us here at Focus for the first time over the last couple of days. It's been really good. And your wonderful book, Almost Holy Mama, Life-Giving Spiritual Practices for Weary Parents. And I I don't think I've met a parent, especially with young kids, that isn't weary. So this is a resource that you need. And uh, you can get it right here from Focus on the Family. Uh, make a gift of any amount, become a a monthly sustainer or a one-time gift, and we'll send it as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. And as we said last time, John, there's a great parenting assessment Mm -hmm. that you can take at our website. It's free. We just want to help you identify those things you're doing well, and then identify some of those things you might do a little better at. And it's only five to six minutes. And it's a great resource for you to get
0: on a better track in your parenting journey. Yeah, find the link to that free parenting assessment and details about Courtney's book and an opportunity to donate to the ministry. It's all right there at the website. That's com slash broadcast or call 800-the letter A in the word family. 800-232-6459.
2: Courtney, thanks for being with us. Really a good time. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you for joining us today for Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller inviting you back next time as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.